As a matter of fact, Noah and his family who are trusting the Lord, calling upon Him. And then we've got the rest of the world. Literally the rest of the world that has gone against God, that has rebelled against God. And God has graciously given them about 120 years to repent. They refuse to repent. And now here in chapter 7, we're going to get to the place where it starts to rain. It's not just going to rain a physical rain, a heavy rain, even a downpour. It's not even just going to rain cats and dogs. It's going to rain the judgment, the just judgment of God upon sin. We've got to understand that every sin must be accounted for. It will be accounted for. God will not let it go unpunished or undealt with. He will not sweep it under the rug. Though God is loving, He judges out of His love because if He did not judge, He would not be truly and perfectly loving. We've got to see and understand these things about God. And when we look at this account, and not merely a story, this is not a tale, this is not folklore, this is the account of the Bible of God's Word expressing how God's creation had gone wayward and God had to correct His creation to draw them back to Himself. And ultimately, every time God judges, it is to draw His people near and near to Himself. But even more so, it is to reveal Himself to His creation. What we find in judgment, and what we find in the flood, is we find the character of God. And we've got to look at this. When we study the Bible, this is not merely telling us a story. This is not merely telling us even just an account or going on down the line of things. This is God showing us who He is, what He is like, what He has done, what He's doing, what He's going to do, and ultimately all of that is wrapped up in the personal work of the Lord Jesus Christ. Genesis chapter 7. Everyone make it there? All right. And the Lord said unto Noah, Come thou and all thy house into the ark. For thee have I seen righteous before me in this generation. Of every clean beast... Thou shalt take to thee by sevens the male and his female, and of beasts that are not clean by two, the male and his female. Of fowls also of the air by sevens, the male and the female, to keep seed alive upon the face of all the earth. God has a plan, doesn't He? For yet seven days, and I will cause it to rain upon the earth forty days and forty nights. And every living substance that I have made will I destroy from off the face of the earth. And Noah did according unto all that the Lord commanded him. And Noah was 600 years old when the flood of waters was upon the earth. And Noah went in, and his sons and his wife, and his sons' wives with him, into the ark because of the waters of the flood, of clean beasts and of beasts that are not clean, of fowls and of everything that creepeth upon the earth. There went in two and two unto Noah into the ark, the male and the female, as God had commanded Noah." If there's any bit that we can find out about Noah at this chapter up to this point is this. He simply trusted God and obeyed God. That was it. That was Noah's testimony. That is a testimony truly of any born-again believer of what it should look like. We hear God speak to us in His revealed Word and we say yes to Him by faith and obedience. I want us to focus in tonight especially on verse number 1. He says, And the Lord said unto Noah, now, before we get deep into, into your, your booklet there, just the mere fact that God speaks is an act of His grace. The mere fact that God speaks to His creation that has rebelled. Let's remember this. Is Noah perfect? No. Is Noah sinless? No. As a matter of fact, it is Noah who has found grace in the eyes of the Lord. And yes, he has called upon the Lord. Yes, he has trusted the Lord. But that does not make him perfect. Noah is still 
like everyone else to the degree that he has a sinful flesh, a sinful nature, but yet he has obeyed the voice of God. He has obeyed the voice of the Lord. He has obeyed all that God has commanded him up until this point. And God speaks to him. And the fact is tonight, God has not only spoken to Noah, but God in a few chapters is going to speak to a man named Abraham, and then to Isaac, and then to Jacob, to Joseph, and all the way down through the line. And what we find is we have a God who speaks, and we have a God who has spoken. Tonight, you and I can hear the voice of God. It's the Bible. This is the voice of God. This is the revealing of God Himself saying, this is who I am. He has given us all that we need in His inspired Word. Now, Noah didn't have a copy of the Bible to take on the ark. He had something that was incredible that we can't always quite fathom because we have the Bible, yet I would say that we are better in the sense that we have Genesis Revelation, the full and final, complete, inspired Word of God that has been preserved for us from generation to generation. But the Lord spoke to Noah. God did not open up the heavens here at this point and say, one last chance, earth. He did not say, oh, inhabitants of all the land, oh, you sinners, one more chance. Hear what I have to say. At this point, I believe that the, the ship literally has sailed, if you will. It, it's over for them. But he speaks to Noah. And what we find is he says, Come thou and all thy house into the ark. We find God's invitation. Come thou and all thy house into the ark. One commentator writes, The ark was finished, and Noah now in the spirit of implicit faith, which had influenced his whole conduct, waited for directions from God. Here's the thing that we've got to understand as we move into this passage. You and I already know the end of the passage because we've read the Bible. We've been to Sunday school more than once. We know about Noah. He hears what God has to say and he obeys what God has to say. Much uh, like the Scriptures tell us, be not only a, uh, don't just be a hearer of the Word, but be a doer of the Word. This is the difference between those who live by the flesh and those who live by faith. Faith says yes to God's Word. Faith obeys what God says says. And at this point, come thou and all thy house in the ark. And what we're going to see here in just a few verses, the, the, the telling of him going into the ark, he obeys him. He is waiting patiently day by day for God's instructions and God's directions. We don't know how long the ark had been completed. This could have been literally the, the last hammer and nail and God says, come on in. If this could have been a, a space of a little bit of a time. Nevertheless, we find God's invitation about this. He says, uh, Come thou and all thy house into the ark. Noah was righteous. Noah was the one who had trusted the Lord. God was the one that spoke to Noah, and Noah uh, heard the voice of the Lord. But yet all of his house is included here because God is going to use them to repopulate. You see, the invitation for the world had been given during the days of preparation of the ark. but They had been rejected by all others. The rest of the world, if you will, had heard the call. They had heard the invitation. Get on the boat. Noah's building a boat. You're going to want to get on that boat. Judgment's coming. How do we know? We know that the Bible tells us that Noah was a preacher of righteousness. He had preached repentance to the people, and yet they did not, would not believe. 2 Peter 2.5 tells us, And spared not the old world, but saved Noah, the eighth person, a preacher of righteousness, bringing in the flood upon the world of the ungodly. God is preparing Noah for what he said he was going to do years and years, even decades ago. 
Now, this is important because not only does this tell us about Noah's faithfulness, that Noah trusts God, but this tells us more, I believe, about God than anything. When God speaks that He's going to do something, He's going to do it, rest assured. Remember, back in chapter 6, it was God who said, make thee an ark, right? The end of all flesh is before me, right? I will destroy them. And guess what? Now the time has come. We've got to understand in the days in which we're living, all of us tonight would probably say that we believe that we're living in the last days. So did the early church, because they were living in the last days. We've been living in the last days since the moment Jesus ascended unto the Father. The issue is this. You and I have yet to see the rain quite yet. We've got to understand that the rain is still coming. There is an ark, and it is not a, a physical, literal ark or a boat to get on. The ark is Christ. We must call people to repentance and trust Jesus alone, or else they will be left outside the ark and they will be without hope. They will be without salvation. They will experience the wrath of God. They will experience the judgment of which the Lord is going to call us out of. Now, I praise the Lord that you and I may not have to be here, but have you ever thought that the vast majority of the world will be? I don't know what Noah's thoughts are at this point. I don't know what his family's thinking. I don't know what his home devotions are looking like. I don't know what it looks like when he's talking to his family. Hey, you know, no one else is getting on the boat. It's just going to be us for a while. And it's a frightening prospect to think about. Only those who heed the invitation of God enter into the ark will be saved. The only safe place in the world is going to be in the safety of this boat. Now here we've got to understand though that this boat is not merely just a boat. This is the boat. There is no other boat. There is no other Noah somewhere else in the rest of the world. There is no other ark. There is no one else who's going, hey, you know, I saw Noah building that boat a couple months ago. I, I'm going to start building my own. As a matter of fact, I would go ahead and say this tonight. There could have been a next-door neighbor to Noah who built the boat just like Noah. There could have been Noah built his boat as God had said and a neighbor that built his just to look just like Noah's. That man's boat ain't going to last. And we're going to see the difference. The difference is the presence of God is in Noah's boat. The difference is the presence of God says, Noah, come on in. The difference is that God has called Noah, has saved Noah, is going to use Noah... So another boat could be out there, but it ain't going to last. And as a matter of fact, the reason why Noah's ark, Noah's boat, lasts is not because Noah is a world-class craftsman. It's because of God's hand. The reason why anyone has existed is because of God's hand. The reason why anyone is sustaining life right now is because of God's hand. Now God's presence here, notice this. I've always loved this verse. The Lord said unto Noah, Come thou and all thy house into the ark. Now, there's a couple ways to tell Noah to get into the boat, right? If you were outside of the boat and you were telling somebody to get inside the boat, what would you tell them? Go into the boat. But if you were already in somewhere and you were telling them to get into the boat, what would you say? You would, instead of saying, get into the boat, you'd say, Come. This is the invitation. This is the inviting. And Noah still, ultimately, even at this point, has a choice. But we know by faith he trusts the Lord to build the boat. Do you think he's going to get in? Of course. By faith, day by day, for 100 years, he's been building this boat. I believe by faith he's going to jump right in that thing. Why? 
Not because he's trusting in the work of his hands, or the work of his son's hands and their craftsmanship. It's because God gave the warning. God gave the instructions. God provided the materials. As we're going to see in verses 2 and 3, if we get to it tonight, God provides the animals. God provides the safety. God provides it all. It's all of God's grace. So what is Noah trusting in? He's trusting in the grace of God. He's trusting in God's provision. He's not trusting in his own character. He's trusting in the character of God. God's presence is the protection of the ark and those in it. Could you imagine this? It would read a lot different if God said, get into the ark and hold on tight. There's some uncertainty there. But there's certainty when God says, come in. Now this reminds us, at least reminds me, of what's going to happen later on to Moses. Moses says, I don't want to go into the promised land if if you're not there. Here, we have rest assured already. Noah has no reason to fear getting in the boat. Why? The Lord says, come. I'm already here. I'm with you. Outside the boat. Inside the boat. The Lord is with Noah. Now this continues the motive of the promise and the provision and the presence of God that we've seen literally from Genesis 1 all the way through this point. God's promise being His Word. When God speaks, it is done. As a matter of fact, even before God speaks, His plans were long before He even said, let there be light. He knew every detail, every grain of sand, every hair on our head. He knew every piece of wood that Noah would have, every animal that would go on, every person that would be swept away in the flood. God knew. He's not surprised a bit. He's a great big God. The only God. He is the Lord. His word is His promise. And it's sure because of His character. So therefore, when God speaks, you can take it to the bank because of who He is. The second thing that we find about God's provision, though, is that this being His work, it was God's work that provided all this for Noah. Could you imagine being called to do such a task today? You've got no instruction manual. You've got no factory. You've got no other workers. You've got nothing to work with except there's a timeline of there's going to be a flood coming. You need to build this boat. God provided everything that no one needed. This tells me and you tonight as Christians, those who trust in the Lord, God provides all that we need as well. And I'm not just talking physically. We're not just talking God provides bread for our mouths and water. God doesn't just provide those things. He does. But He provides every spiritual sustaining power and strength that we need day by day, moment by moment. If God does not provide, we've got nothing. Could you imagine for a moment if God stopped providing for you every second of your life? We'd all be dead. We don't think of it that way. Now imagine if we did think of it that way, we wouldn't waste our breath with some of the things that we waste our breath for. We probably wouldn't be as angry and fleshly and flying off the handle or bitter or any of those things. What we would find is because God has given me this, I have this right now, this is all I've got, what God has given me. I'd better not waste it. But the third thing that we find, and I believe perhaps one of the most beautiful things of the Scripture is God's presence. God says, come in. I'm here. I'm not going anywhere. I will never leave thee. I will never forsake thee. God will take care of Noah. God's presence truly is His will for our life. Notice this. How were Adam and Eve able to live in the garden? 
before the fall. They lived in the presence of God. Afterwards, they were driven from the presence. That's the most frightening thing about leaving Eden. It's not just that they left some nice fresh fruit and some veggies behind. It's that they left the fellowship of God. How about this? What's heaven all about? What's the new heavens and the new earth all about? Is it about the streets of gold? Is it about the reunion with lost loved ones? And and that's going to be good. Don't get me wrong whatsoever. It is about the presence of God. Is there a need for a temple in Revelation 21 and 22? No. Why? Because the Lamb is there. Because God is there. Is there a need for the Son? No. Because the Lamb is the light thereof. We find that His presence is enough to sustain His people forever and forever and forever. And when we make it to forever, we've got forever to go, and He's never going to run out of sustaining power. Here's what we see. God's Word promised the coming judgment on the world and made the covenant with righteous Noah. God's work provided the instruction, the material, and the strength to build the ark. God's will protects the inhabitants of the ark by God's divine presence inside. The most important inhabitant of the ark is not Noah. It's God. It's not the animals. It's not Noah's sons who can then continue to make babies. And and when you get into uh, chapter uh, 9 and 10, you'll get into the whole lineage of their children. But guess what? That's not the most important. It's the Lord is there. Phillips writes, God was already in the ark. Salvation was simply the shutting in of all the saved with Him. What it meant for Noah to be in the ark in his day is what it means for us to be in Christ today. Between the saved and the storm where the judgment-proof timbers of the ark between the believer and God's wrath is Christ. He bore the storm for all those who now find their safety in Him. Christ is our ark. Without the protection of the blood of Jesus Christ, you and I, no matter what we build, no matter what we have, no matter what we surround ourselves by, the flood of God's wrath will crush us like that. The only Thing that separates us from outside is Jesus Christ. Now, anyone ever been under water before in a boat? I haven't. And it makes me nervous, to be honest. You think about all this water, and you know how much ship you got between you and water? Not a lot. <laughs> Not a whole lot. As a matter of fact, it's enough where you and I, we've all watched Titanic, you heard Titanic, you see, it don't take much. Titanic was good until it got a hole. Now a hole would have been fine as long as water doesn't come in it, right? If a hole happens and it's a whole lot higher up, but the fact that a hole comes in, water comes in, the ship's going to go down. great thing about this ark It's not that Noah built it to last. It's that God built it to last. It's that God gave everything needed to make it last. And ultimately, Noah could have had a measurement off somewhere. God was going to take care of it. God was going to preserve Noah. Now, keep that in mind 
when we get to the end of tonight because we're going to bring it around. All right? Now, notice this. Come thou and all thy house in the ark, for thee have I seen righteous before me in this generation. For thee have I seen righteous before me in this generation. I believe this is where we find the imputation of righteousness. You say, well, doesn't it say that Noah was righteous before? It says this back in Genesis chapter 6, verse 9. These are the generations of Noah. Noah was a just man and perfect in his generations, and Noah walked with God. That takes faith here. But I believe that the righteousness that is seen there is a righteousness that Noah was living right. He was living clean. He was trusting in the Lord. He walked right, especially in comparison to the rest of the world. But notice the difference in the way the phrasing is here. Now I see. I have seen you righteous before me. Now in the eyes of God, the position of Noah is not just a man that he's going to use. It is a man who knows him, who walks with him, a man who positionally is righteous. Sorensen writes this, Whereas imputed righteousness may not have been in view in 6.9, seemingly it is here. Noah in simple faith had taken God at His word and did what God said to do. That is faith. And that is the basis of justification. Sadly, of the entire generation of the earth, which may have numbered over a billion people by this time, only Noah's found righteous before God. Now, justified, we say that means declared righteous. That's the doctrine of justification at its very root understanding. We've got to understand this. You and I who trust Jesus, the moment we repent of our sins and trust Christ by faith, what do we have? We are justified in the eyes of God. That means we are declared righteous, legally, before Him in position. We've got to understand that there's a secondary doctrine that is often neglected and forgotten about, and it is the doctrine of imputation. Imputation is that what takes place, it's what's often called the great exchange. There upon the cross, our sins were imputed to Jesus' account. Let me ask you this tonight, you all know this, was Jesus ever guilty of any sin? Not one time. He wouldn't sin and He couldn't sin. Alright, we've got to understand that. But there on that cross, God took every one of your sins and my sins and the guilt thereof and placed it upon His Son. He imputed to Jesus' account my sin. So that the moment I trust in Jesus' finished work upon that cross, His death, His burial, and His resurrection, that's the Gospel, the moment that takes place, His righteousness is then imputed to my account. So that now I am legally in the eyes of God, declared not guilty, I am now declared righteous. And notice this with God, the doctrine of imputation is much deeper than that. It is not that God takes my rap sheet, my record, and go look at that sin and that sin and that sin. I'd have, we'd have stacks of paper, wouldn't we? All sorts of things against us. The handwriting of ordinances that was against us, it was nailed to His cross. He blotted it out. God did not merely at the top say, all is forgiven, 50 years probation. He didn't say that. Every one of those charges is gone. As if they did not even exist. It is now imputed as if now not only that you did not sin, but it is as if you obeyed God as Christ did. In the eyes of God. I didn't. But Jesus did that for me. He imputed His righteousness to my account. My account was nothing but guilt. He wiped it all away. 
cast my sin as far as the east is from the west. No one can walk into the courtroom of God anymore with a charge against Joe Bryant. No one can walk into the courtroom of God. Who can accuse? You say, well, the devil's the accuser. He is, but he's got no leg to stand on. He's got no argument. As a matter of fact, at this point, he doesn't even have any witnesses. Why? Because the blood of Jesus Christ witnesses on my behalf. Jesus there making intercessions for me day by day, moment by moment, hour by hour, the Holy Spirit praying for me from within as He indwells my body, as now uh, our bodies are the temple of the Holy Ghost of God. What we find is this, the very prayers of the Lord is just enough. The, the witness of Christ's scarred hands there, see at the right hand of the Father as He prays for me, that is enough witness. The devil has nothing, case closed. Right? That's imputation. I believe that's what we see here for Noah. Later on, we're going to see it for old Abraham. That it was accounted unto him for righteousness. Positionally, Noah is seen as righteous before God. Now notice the difference here. How do you get to that point in Noah's life? How do you get to that point, to that point in our life? Well, notice the invitation. It's available for all to hear. Noah had made the call for years, for years, decade after decade, and not one time did anyone come to Noah's altars. Not one time do we find anyone walking down and, and trying to get things right before God. We don't find it. No one else got on the boat except for him, his wife, his three boys and their wives, as it eight people. And Noah is the one seen righteous before God in this generation, this age, this whole group, the whole world. Only Noah. Hebrews 11.7 tells us, By faith, Noah, being warned of God, things not seen as yet moved with fear. And when we think about the fear of the Lord, we have to think of, this, of the, the, the other side of that coin. The fear of the Lord is faith in the Lord. Real fear of the Lord is a faith, a trust, a dependence in the Lord. By faith, Noah being warned of God of things not seen as yet. Meaning this, they hadn't seen the, the, the flood waters, the rain waters. They had not seen the deluge that's about to happen. They had not seen the geysers burst forth and, and cause 40 days and 40 nights of rain. Destruction. He moved with fear. Prepared an ark to the saving of his house. By the which he condemned the world became heir of the righteousness which is by faith. And I believe that's the key when we look back in Genesis 7 to Hebrews 11, 7 that tells us about Noah, that he became heir of the righteousness which is by faith. How do you become an heir of the righteousness that is of Jesus Christ? By grace through faith. God has given plenty of grace, but if there is no faith in the grace that He's provided, there will be no salvation. There will be no salvation. Though grace is available, it is applied to those who trust in the Lord's provision by faith alone. By grace alone, through faith alone, in Christ alone. And here, Noah is not trusting in the boat that stands before him. He's trusting in the God that spoke to him. He's trusting in the God who provided the boat. He's trusting in the God who said, come into the boat. Noah had lived practically righteous in comparison with the world. But now I believe we find the difference between him and the world. And it's not moral character. It's that he stands right before God. He has walked with God. He knows the fellowship of God. He is a friend of God. He puts his true faith and dependence and trust in God alone for all things, through all things, in all things. 
This is the difference between the average churchgoer and the Christian. This is the difference between the one that knows about the Bible and the one that knows the God of the Bible. This is the difference between the one who can say the, the phrases here in, in this cultural Christian land that we live in where we say, well, you know, Jesus is my Savior. What does that mean exactly? Was there a time and a place where you repented and trusted Christ? If there is no repentance, there will be no salvation. If there is no faith in, in the Gospel, there will be no salvation. So it does not matter if you say, well, Jesus is my Savior, and, and well, you know, I got baptized, or I got this, or I got that, or I got that, or I got that. It does not matter what you say you got unless you say you have trusted Christ, what He has done for you. It is not so much what you have done because it's never about what we've done. It's no work of us. It is by His mercy that we are saved. The righteousness of Noah is not based upon His work as Titus tells us in chapter 3. It is all by His mercy. It is faith in the work of God in Him, through Him, and for Him. Now the division between lost and saved is not a righteousness of works, but an imputed righteousness from God alone. There's plenty of lost people who are more moral than people inside the church. Shouldn't be that way. The difference between the lost and the saved is imputed righteousness. We hear and we see it on bumper stickers and cliches and Facebook posts that get shared around that say, You've probably seen it, heard it, or even said it. I'm not perfect, just forgiven, right? It sounds cliche, but there's an awful lot of truth. Right now, as imperfect as I am, and I'm very imperfect, you might not believe me. Spend a moment with me outside of church, inside the church. Just walk and watch me. Ask my wife if you really don't believe it. You'll find, ask the dog. Someone will tell you. But if you ask the Lord, His answer is the only one that matters. That should give us hope and confidence. Now I want to bring this to a close tonight by looking at how important this is about Noah. The Lord said to Noah, Come thou and all thy house into the ark, for thee have I seen righteous before me in this generation. Would you say that this is perhaps a moment or at least an assurance of Noah's salvation? I believe I would. But notice this about the salvation of Noah here. Noah is not just saved a little, he's saved all the way. Noah is not just imputed a little bit of righteousness, he's imputed all the way. He's not just a little bit viewed in the sight of God as righteous, he's viewed all the way righteous, meaning nothing else matters in the eyes of God at this point. Now this is important, because you and I have read the account of Noah, we know Noah's going to mess up, don't we? We know that Noah is in human flesh and will fail. Yet, God says, I see righteousness imputed. And this is important. You want to know why? Those that God imputes the righteousness of Christ to, He will not unimpute it. He will not look and say, You have been cleansed by the blood of my Son. You are saved and kind of sealed. Kind of secure. You are saved. You are sealed. You are secured forever and forever. It has been said, it's been said that Noah could fall inside the boat, but he couldn't fall out of it. You think about that for a minute. Now, when you and I are saved, 
We fall in the boat all the time, don't we? Why? The storms get to rocking. Our flesh gets to moving. We get in trouble. But praise God, no matter how many times you fall down, dear Christian, you will not fall out of the boat, the ark of Christ. You are as saved and secure in there as you ever could be. And if you could fall out, there ain't no getting back in. God says, come. Come in the boat. Noah by faith enters the boat. You and I, Christ has said, come unto me. All those, Jesus says, I will in no wise cast out. That means exactly what that means. We find this in the Scriptures tonight. This is how I want to end, just to encourage you a little bit. To be honest with you, the rest of chapter 7, once we get past this booklet, it gets very difficult. If we see the grand scheme of that, there are billions dying and going to hell in the matter of moments. It's heavy. So I want to encourage you this. John chapter 6 tells us this. John chapter 6, verse 29, Jesus answered said unto them, This is the work of God that ye believe on Him whom He hath sent. We are saved and kept by faith in Christ alone. A couple chapters later, in John chapter 10, one of my favorite portions of Scripture, Jesus says, I'm the door and I'm the shepherd of the sheep. The good shepherd. Who lays His life down for the sheep. The Jews get all riled up and he says, I told you. That's how I like to think he said, I told you. You believe not. Much like that woeful and unfaithful generation of Noah's day. The works that I do in my Father's name, they bear witness of me, but you believe me not because you are not of my sheep, as I said unto you. My sheep hear my voice, and I know them, and they follow me, and I give unto them eternal life. That's not just future future position, but it's a current possession. Right? My sheep are my voice, and I know them, they follow me, and I give unto them eternal life, and they shall never perish. They shall never perish. They shall never perish. In case you got it. Neither, not only will they not perish, but wait, there's more. Look. Neither shall any man pluck them out of my hand. Now, if you notice this, they will never perish. Never means never. And notice this. Neither shall any, anyone, pluck them out of my hand. Why? Because none can. When Noah starts floating up in that boat because the rain starts coming, we often hear preaching, and to be honest, many times it's just used as a scare tactic of, People start knocking on that side of the boat. Now, whether that happened, I don't know, to be honest with you. It might have. But I know this. There's not one soul outside of that boat when that flood comes, when that deluge comes, when that wrath of God comes, when that judgment of God comes that is just and righteous. Not one of them can open up the door to that boat. As a matter of fact, as we're going to see as we get more into this booklet and into this passage, Noah's going to sit on that boat for another seven days before a drop of rain hits that thing. Not one person on the outside opens that thing up, nor do I believe they could. God opens it from the inside, and God lets Noah out. It's not by Noah, and it's not by man. 
says, My Father which gave them Me is greater than all, and no man is able to pluck them out of My Father's hands. One of My favorites. And we'll be done tonight. Philippians chapter 1. Philippians chapter 1 says, Being confident, assured of this very thing, that He which hath begun a good work in you will perform it until the day of Jesus Christ. God finishes what He starts. God said to Noah, flood's going to come. You can rest assured that flood's going to come. God said to Noah, you come on in this boat, you're going to be safe, secure, sealed up. I'm going to take care of you. I'll provide everything you need. No, you don't worry about a thing. You just trust me. That's exactly what God means. God will see Noah from the very first day he starts preaching and building to the day he dies. And God will see His children today all the way through. There will not be one moment in your life. There will not be one trial in your life that does not pass through His hands and there is nothing that can let you slip from His hands even in the midst of trials and suffering. Trust in the hand that brings this judgment in Noah's day. Trust in the hands that hold us secure in the middle of the flood all around us. Trust in the ark of Christ and know that though we might fall inside the boat, we will never fall outside of the boat. Though the rains may come and beat upon the boat, though everything might crumble around us, The Lord holds us safe and secure in Christ Jesus. Let's pray. Lord, we love You. We thank You for this night. We thank You for the assurance of Your salvation that You give to us, that You've provided for us. And Lord, that You keep us secure all throughout our days. God, we don't deserve it one bit. Lord, we thank You that every bit of our life, every moment of our life is all by Your grace. May we live by faith, trust You by faith, depend upon You by faith. God, that You would fill us up, strengthen us. Lord, use us in this generation to see that there is a great deal of people who are not yet in Christ. And Lord, that our hearts would be heavy and burdened and our hearts would be even more so obedient to tell others about Christ Jesus. And it's in His name we pray. Amen.